couple books, you will find the book of Haggai, and we're going to be reading 20 through 23 of chapter 2, one of the shorter shorter books in the Bible, and uh, but yet with a, with a good message. And one of the things that Haggai has been, been talking about and that we just want to reiterate here is that if your heart is not right, it contaminates everything else that you do. So if our spirit is not right with God, if our spirit is not right towards others, if, if, uh, if we have something that stands between us and God, everything else that we do is going to be affected by it. If you're here worshiping the Lord and you're still angry with somebody, you're wasting your time. Your worship isn't going to be worthy to him. If you, if you have come to give money thinking that it's going to get you favor with God, it's a waste of your money. The church can use it and God can use it, but it's not going to be accounted to you as a blessing because he wants our heart to be right. And even if you're sharing Jesus with others just to win an argument, it's really of no benefit to you if you're not more concerned about winning a soul to Christ than just winning that argument. So either everything you do is honorable because your heart is right with God or it is not honorable because there is something else that has infected us, that is keeping us from God. God tells us many times, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And we need to really look at God's word and say, what is it that God's word is, is speaking to us? Practical Christianity is not just about what we do, it's about why we do it. And so when we look at things, everything that I had mentioned here of, of worship, of giving, of, of whatever it is, it's not just that we're doing that, but why are we doing it? Why are we doing the things that we do? Because God is always looking at the heart. So says man looks at the outside, but God looks at the heart. And so as we, as we uh, look at this final scripture today, there's a lot of things that God can really bring out to this. But I, I want you to uh, realize, and I think I heard it in the, in the Sunday school lesson today, um, God doesn't just want us to love what he loves, but he wants us to hate what he hates. And when we get that portion going, our heart becomes more like his. Because we can sit back and say, oh yeah, I like this. I like all these good things that God has, but when he convicts us in our life about something and we're not willing to deal with it, there's a hindrance in that way. And so in Haggai 2, 20 through 23, and it's, it's as we sort of wrap up uh, the end of, of this book. Get that going. There we go. And it says, again, the word of the Lord came to Haggai on the 24th day of the month, saying, Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I will shake heaven and earth. I will overthrow the throne of kingdoms. I will destroy the strength of the Gentile kingdoms. I, I will overthrow the chariots and those who ride in them. The horses and their riders shall come down, every one by the sword of his brother. In that day, says the Lord of hosts, I will take you, Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shealtiel, says the Lord, and will make you like a signet ring. For I have chosen you, says the Lord of hosts. It's, a, it's an interesting scripture. On that day, God gave Haggai a message to give directly to Zerubbabel. Because we believe in a sovereign Lord. We believe in a sovereign God who is at work behind the scenes. And he, he's going to accomplish what he wants to accomplish. And he has an eternal plan. 
and as his servants, we should be encouraged by this, knowing that God is at work in every situation that we face. The sovereign Lord will uh, prevail in his eternal plan. And we need to understand that. And so first, God has a definite plan, a very definite plan for history. Do you know that God, with God there is no time. He is from the beginning to the end. He knows everything that's going on. He has a plan that is going to, to happen, regardless of, of what we think or we, what we believe. Excuse me. As we look at the world today, we can say, you know, the world is out of control. There's chaos everywhere that's going on. But do we understand that God is at work behind us? Even as we've gone through some of the separation of, of the, the church when we didn't meet for a while, God had a plan, and I really believe part of that plan was <clears throat> to get the church to look at things differently. The church really, if it wanted to continue to minister, had to view things a little bit differently and do things a little bit differently. He had to stretch us. And for those that did that, they've been blessed. And for those that didn't do it, they were just like treading water. They really didn't know what to do. Unfortunately, a lot of churches now that have gathered back together uh, in the, the way that we were accustomed to have sort of let those other things go. And I think that that's sort of a sad state because God has revealed to us many different ways that we can minister to others. But as we go through this scripture today, I want you to see what Zerubbabel is going to be blessed with. And, and note the repetition of the of the first personal pronoun, I. How many times does he say this? I am going to shake the heavens and the earth. God says, I am going to do that. God says, I will overthrow the thrones of kingdoms. I will overthrow the chariots and their riders. I will take you, Zerubbabel. God is in control. It is God that is, is initiating all these things to go on. I will make you like a signet ring. He says, I have chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts. When we look at that, we can see a God that is in control, a God that has an agenda, a God that is in power. And the Lord of hosts has sworn a saying. In Isaiah 14, 24, it says, Surely, just as I have intended, so it happened, and just as I have planned, so it will stand. God has a plan, and it's going to happen. We cannot thwart it. We cannot speed it up. There are those in the world today that think of, that they can usher in the kingdom of God quicker. God has a timeline. God has a plan, and it's different than ours. God is mighty to accomplish his plan. He is the one that has the strength, the power, the control. I mean, he created all things with the word he spoke, and it happened. Zerubbabel could have easily said, the Lord. As we look at the Jewish nation at that time, you could have looked and said, you know, the, the Jews that have returned to this land are few in number. We don't have enough people to do this work that you have called us to do. We have no king. We have no army. We have no weapons. But isn't that like man to, to look at the resources that we have and say, well, I can't do it because I'm just whatever. Maybe we don't step up to lead a study because we say, you know, I'm not smart enough. I, I haven't, you know, I, I don't know all the answers. Or maybe we don't do something because we say, well, we're not strong enough to do it or, or smart enough to do it or I don't have enough time to do it. We can throw out all those things. Zerubbabel said, we're surrounded by hostile and powerful nations. How often do we look at that in the world today? You know, for some of us, we can remember all the way back 
to the Cuban Missile Crisis. Some of us can probably reach back further than that. But we know that there's always been these wars and rumors of wars in these great nations and the, and the, uh, you know, the threat of nuclear annihilation of the world and, and all these things. Zerubbabel could have said the same thing back then, even though they didn't have nuclear weapons. For him, they might as well have, because he said, we're surrounded by all these powerful nations, and we're subject to the most powerful kingdom on the face of the earth. They were under the most strong kingdom at that time. How are we going to accomplish these things, God? How can we ever prevail? Maybe we say that in our life. How are we ever going to prevail with all these things that are going on in the world today? But clearly God has the ability to accomplish all these things that he has set out to do. I believe that he is at work. The Bible is loaded with stories of one after another where it seemed like it was hopeless. It seemed like there was no way. But God made a way. Sing a song like that, right? God will make a way when there seems to be no way. That's our God. He glories and he gets the glory in making these things happen so we can't stand in, in our power and in our might. We know the story of, of Gideon, right? He had the army that was together and, and God says, no, you got to get rid of more. No, you got to get rid of more. And, and he had to be thinking as a leader. You know, when we were at full strength, we probably weren't strong enough and God whittled it down. But God did that so he would get the glory. God wants the glory in all things. Because if we go in with big armies and our, our own strength and our own wisdom and our own, you know, intellect, then we can say, oh, man, I'm pretty smart and I can make these things happen. And then we take God's glory. God wants the glory. God's plan is carried out in accordance with his choice. It's part of a sovereign God. You know, he has chosen uh, people for, for specific things and specific roles. I just hate to see in the world today, you know, when we talk about, you know, this life matters or that life matters or, you know, Christ sees no color of our skin. He sees the color of our blood. And, and all lives matter to him. But we divide up. We divide up that way. We divide up male and female. And we're not content being who God has created us to be or being what God has created us to be. And we're always trying to change either ourselves or those around us. If we don't feel we're high enough, we want to be higher. Or else we want to tear down those that are over us. We're always wanting to change others in our life. God plainly states the reason that he will make Zerubbabel like a signet ring. He says, for I have chosen you declares the Lord of hosts. Have you ever seen a signet ring? And I don't know if that's a very good picture or not. But it was, it was a ring or a stamp that those in authority would carry. And with it came um, power. And with it came um, authority to, to speak on behalf of the king. So if you were a messenger for the king or somebody for the king, he could give you his ring and you could, you could stamp things with his authority, you would have that same authority that he would have. Zerubbabel, it says, was to become like a signet ring. He says that he has chosen them to be like the signet ring, an instrument that a king used in his carrying out of his authority. It was an instrument uh, 
that would stamp social documents. So you can't really see that, but that'd be like an envelope and they'd have this little piece of wax and, and it was unique. It was a stamp, a one-of-a-kind stamp. So when people saw it, they knew whose it was and who it belonged to. So God had this definite plan for history and it, and it included Zerubbabel in being the signet ring. And God's plan centers on the person of Jesus Christ. We always need to remember that, that everything um, is centered on Jesus Christ. And so when we look at the signet ring, Zerubbabel had been given a place of honor and authority. God had placed that on him to accomplish the things that he had. God is reinstating also by this uh, the Davidic line of Jesus. So he's bringing this line back that, that, uh, that he had renewed his covenant with David. And so there's a lot of these things to the, to the signet ring that he has. And we're going to bring it in to, to what that means to us in a moment. But Judah still has a future as they look forward to the, the coming son of David. So it gave Israel that hope by making Zerubbabel this, this signet ring, this, this stamp, this, this uh, voice of God in this authority of God. We knew that the David line was going to continue on and it was giving the, the Jewish people hope at that time. And it said this, that they were going to over, overturn royal thrones and shatter the power of foreign kingdoms. Can you imagine that? God saying those things. We can look at the world today, we can say, well, things are pretty shook up. But this is what he declared Zerubbabel to be. And the other thing with this signet ring was this, that it proved ownership. It proved ownership. And so we can say in our life, does God have that stamp on your life? We talk a lot about about uh, us accepting Jesus or us following the Bible and, and, and you know, us trying to be moral and, and to be right. But what did he say to Zerubbabel? He says, for I have chosen you, says the Lord of hosts. God calls us. We cannot come to God on our own choosing. God calls us and we respond. It is him, it says. I have chosen you, says the Lord of hosts. He had chosen him for this purpose. And Zerubbabel is really a, 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 a prototype of Christ when we look at this. We can look in the Bible many times. I'm not saying he was Christ. He's not, not our Savior. But there's many pictures through the, through the Bible of people that were sort of a prototype or, or a reflection of, of Christ. Because Zerubbabel was really the true servant of God. And he was God's signet ring, and that's really what Jesus became. Jesus became actually the signet ring. And all that validity in God's eyes, bearing this seal. He talks about us being sealed, doesn't he? Until the day of redemption. Being sealed by the Holy Spirit. God was giving a stamp of approval. He was giving uh, that to us to point to Christ and still today we are marked with a seal and we believe in the Bible that says that seal will not be broken that it will hold us and, and, and it has that authority and that power to keep us Zerubbabel had built the temple of God and Christ became the living temple of God and he tells us as his believers that we have the spirit in us the temple 
inside of us. And so from the very beginning of Haggai, when it talked about, are you neglecting your spiritual house or your spiritual temple? And our body is the temple of God. Are you neglecting that? Are you still neglecting that in your life? Are your eyes focused on him? Are you loving what God loves? Are you hating what God hates? Christ is a signet ring through whom all must come. There's only one way to salvation, and that is by submitting yourself to Jesus Christ and his word. It's not by good works. It's not by deeds. It's not by giving. It's not by being moral. The Bible says that, that we're, our righteousness is as filthy rags. It tells us that we are all full of sin. There's none righteous, not one. God's plan centers on Jesus Christ. By grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourself. Until we really get the picture of the righteousness of God and the filthiness of our nature, we're never going to really see God for who he is. God's timing is for fulfilling his plan is different than ours. Sometimes we sit back and we look and say, you know, is, is, why isn't God doing something? Why isn't this happening? Or is this happening? And, and we all think that things should happen in a certain way and in a certain time. But God's plan is different than ours. We need to understand that. We continue to do what we're called to do until God directs us in a different way. Don't be disgruntled because you're this or that. Don't be frustrated with the things that are going on. Look for what God is doing in the world today. You can sit back and, and watch the news, and I don't care what channel you watch. You can sit back, and, and for me, it just gets depressing because all you hear is people arguing about this or that or the other thing, and, and this one's attacking this one, that one's attacking this one. And, you know, we need to know what's going on in the world. But I want you to, to think that God's timing is different. When God calls it to happen, it's going to happen. Haggai ends with this, with this final triumphant note that he gives us in the Word of God. But it's not just a, uh, uh, it's, it's not an encouragement to us unless we can trust in the Word of God, unless we believe what God's Word says. And that's why the Bible says, you know, you know, you say, Lord, Lord, you know, but we're far from it. He says, if you love me, why don't you do what I say? But we have a list of reasons why we don't do what he says, because I enjoy this. It's convenient for me. It's going to, you know, make me, take me out of my comfort zone. It's going to require something else of me. And so we have all these reasons why we don't. But Jesus says, if you love me, why don't you do what I command? If you love me, why aren't you happy being what I have called you to be, where you are? If you love me, where is your joy? Where is your contentment? Where is your peace that surpasses understanding? If you love me, you would keep your eyes fixated on me and follow me where I lead. Because where I lead, you will find joy. So many of us are trying to find joy in the things of the world. If I go here and do this, if I'm over there doing that, if I can have this, if I can have that, I'm going to find all this, this joy. If I lived here, if I lived there, if I, you know, could just do this or experience this in my life, I, I'd have joy. You're not going to have joy in the things of this world. You will only have joy in Christ. The final message of Haggai teaches us 
about frightening world circumstances and we can look at the things that are going on and they can be frightening. We can look at powerful enemies of the gospel. We know in the world today that, that they stand against what God stands for. A Christian is becoming sort of the, the endangered species in the world today because the Bible is, or because the world is all inclusive and the Bible is, is, is narrow and the things that God says are acceptable. God calls sin, sin. The world says, no, that's a choice. It's acceptable. And some people even say God creates them this way to be in sin. Personal discouragements are not good reasons for neglecting God's word. And they're not good reasons for neglecting what God has called us to do. I think Haggai is, is a book of commitment. He's talking to the Jewish people about building the temple of God. They're talking about building our temple if we apply it to us today. It's about accomplishing the work that God has called us to do. Are we doing that in our life? You know, we started this series with consider your ways. Are you considering your ways? Are you considering the things that you are going through? It's never too late to turn from the things that you are doing. God's word to the leaders and the people in the second message was what? Be strong and work. Be strong and work. I was taught as a young boy, what you need to do is you need to get an education, you need to do this so you don't have to work. How many of us would, would have thought about winning a lottery so we didn't have to work? Well, if I had all this money, I wouldn't have to work. But Haggai says, be strong and work. And not just to work to put it in bags that have holes in it. But we do the work of righteousness for the kingdom of God where there is eternal values. It's his message then and it's his message to us now. We have the great privilege of participating in God's plan. Do you understand that? Even in a little town like Augusta here, we have the great privilege of participating in God's plan for this church, for this community, for this area, for this county, for this state, for our country, down in Mexico, missionaries here. We have the, the privilege of participating in God's plan. And why is it that God is always last in our life? Or somewhere down we put ourselves first. As believers in the promises of God, we put all of our eggs in the eternity basket. As a believer in Christ, he says, are you all in or are you all out? Because you can't straddle that fence. That's, you know, in, in Revelation, it talks a little bit about the, the lukewarm church, sort of a foot in both sides. And he says, how I wish you either hot or cold, but because you're lukewarm, I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. God wants us to be all in. First Corinthians tells us this, if God's promises about the resurrection to life and to judgment are not true, then let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Do you believe in the resurrection of Christ? Do you believe that he died for your sins? Do you believe in that, in that power of Christ and in his name? 
and in his giving of his life on the cross and the shedding of his blood. Do you believe in that resurrection power? That because he did that, he offers that eternal life to us that we will be with him also. Or are you living in the way that says, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die? Sometimes I've heard people say this, Christians say this, you know, well, even if, even if this God thing isn't true, but we're living the life according to God's, to, to the Bible, and even if God isn't true, you know, aren't we better off to have lived that life? Why would you even say that if God isn't true, if this God thing is not true? Either you're all in and you believe it, or you don't. And the world looks at those that call themselves Christians. And they make a determination on your faith. And they make a determination, right or wrong, on the power of God. By how we live and the choices we make. But if God's word is true, and if God raised Jesus from the dead, then let us, it says in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, be steadfast immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain for the Lord. You may get discouraged sometimes in the work. The Jewish people of Haggai, they got discouraged from time to time. They looked at circumstances and they said, we can't do it. But God came and encouraged them. And Haggai came and spoke the word of God to them. And they were encouraged in their spirit. He gave them hope. This world doesn't give us hope. This world gives us disappointment. Yes, there's fleeting moments of, uh, of joy or gratification in, in some of the things that the world has. But I'm talking about that deep down joy, hope, and peace. And there are those that are searching for that. There might be those even in here today that are looking for that and they can't find it and they're, they're wondering what else they need to do. And God says it's right before you. It's right before you. Submit yourself to me. Find joy in who I have created you to be and do what it is that I have created you to do. Find rest in me. We talk about the Sabbath day. We talk about entering his rest. Jesus is that rest. We enter into him. It doesn't mean our problems in this world are going to go away. It doesn't mean, you know, we're immune from things that are going on around us. But it means we have that rest and we have that peace that surpasses all understanding. It says, and it keeps and guards our heart. Have you kept God first in your life? Is God first in your life? If not, you need to make that decision. You need to live like he is if you are a child of his. Stop seeking after yourself and the things that you want. And seek after those things that God has for you. What does it say in Mark? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. Let's pray. Father, we 